Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 89 of the podcast. I have the distinct honor and pleasure of sitting down with the legendary Daryl Strawberry. Daryl and I talk about his brand new book, Turn Your Season Around, and how uh, he shares his journey on hearing from God, recovery, and living a life uh, that is not conducive to the walk with Christ and and the changes that took place inside of him and inside of his community to help make that happen. Such a good conversation. We really dive into some uh, thoughts on prayer and trust and God speaking to him and what that really looks like. I I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation from Daryl. Uh, if you do enjoy it, one of the biggest compliments you can give us, leave us a rating or review, especially on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help get the word out about what God is doing on this platform. Also, maybe share this episode with a friend. Word of mouth advertising is the best way uh, to share something that me- is meaningful to you. So thank you so much. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Daryl Strawberry. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to be here today with uh, pastor evangelist, former MLB baseball player, Daryl Strawberry. Daryl, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, Tony. I really appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out uh, to Zondervan and and Karen and our team. And, you know, we're able to sit here and just just have a great conversation about, you know, what God is doing. Man, and God's doing some crazy cool stuff in your life and in your ministry, and uh, and we're going to jump into all of that. But is it is it okay if we talk a little bit of baseball first? Of course, go ahead. Uh, so I'm interested. How did you feel about COVID baseball, and uh, what was your take on the World Series? Oh, I thought it was pretty boring. You know, <laughs> <laughs> COVID baseball and no fans and. I'm a guy that's driven by fans, and I love fans, and yeah. I, I love being uh, in 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 the ballpark where fans are yelling at you and they're booing you and and saying you stuff. That's part of it, you know. And I I think some guys may not like that. Some guys may felt like baseball was pretty good for them because they had no fans and they didn't have to hear from anybody. But I I think it would have been pretty boring coming to the ballpark and trying to compete like that. Yeah, for sure. I, it was um, one of the things that I really wanted Major League Baseball to do was to sell a premium audio pass so that you could get a non... I, I know this isn't like the most Christian thing because I, I kind of get a sense of what well, I've never played at Major League Baseball, but I played enough sports and I was in the Army for a long time. But I would have paid, paid big money to listen to what happens in the nuances of the game on the field with no crowd noise. Uh, I mean... Is that something you think people would do? Well, I, I, th- I think so. I mean, there's a lot of conversations uh, that go on when, when it's crowds there. You can imagine, you know, the conversations they really go on when you don't have people there, um, especially in the dugout. I think more than anything, you know, players, players have to sit around and talk to each other uh, a lot instead of, you know, being into the game and being into the crowd and everything else, because the crowd excites you. It yeah. brings, it, it brings great joy to you. And, and, and there's got to be a great deal of respect, you know, for what the game is all about and, and, and who we are and how we how we respect the game. And, and I think players um, have to respect the fans because they have to remember the important part of the ingredients is good when it's fans there. Mm. You know, even even if you don't like them, you know, it, right. it's like baking, it's like baking a cake and 
if you don't have cream on it, you, you might not like it, you know, it might not be good, you know, until you put the cream on it. And that's the same thing what baseball has, you know, when you're a player and, and having conversations and how empty it is and how shallow it is because there's no fans around. So I'm a giant Cincinnati Reds fan. Um, and I grew up watching the Reds. And of course, the 1990 World Series is my favorite Reds team of all time. I'm dying to know who is your favorite Reds player that you ever played against? Hey, Davis, he's my best friend. You know, we grew up together. So. <laughs> I wrote down I wrote down Eric Davis. I wrote down Eric Davis because I, I knew that that was the answer. But he was so much fun to watch play baseball. You guys both were, honestly. <laughs> yeah, he was incredible. He was an incredible talent. He just didn't get enough credit because he played in Cincinnati. Yeah. You know, had he played in a place where it was a market for him, uh, everybody would have recognized how good he really was. You know, he was an incredible 5-2 player that can do it all and, and nobody ever talks about it because they talk well he got hurt well if you dive and you run into walls you're gonna get hurt too you know well, I, his, come on his, his frame set wasn't big enough you know like uh someone else you know like a Dave Winthrop or somebody right. else in the outfield but Eric was one of the greatest players to, to ever drop on a uniform and play major league baseball I I used to slap my glove on my leg uh, every time I catch a, a, a pop fly because of Eric Davis. And it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he was sweet out there. He was, like I said, he was, he was incredible. He could do it all. You know, they just really um, underestimate how great his talent really was, you know, for a guy that, that can hit home runs and steal bases and run like he could and, and play center field like he could. Uh, uh, he get, he gave a lot, he gave a lot to the Reds. He gave a lot to the fans and, you know, I know a lot of Red fans still love him to this day. And, and I appreciate that because, you know, he's one of my dearest friends. So I have two boys who both love the game and they play the game a lot. And, you know, of course, this is we're we're playing baseball now. Uh, I'm, I, you know, pretty much year round almost. You know, we started winter training for our summer team starts this weekend. As a matter of fact, we're recording this in the beginning of November. Uh, I'm curious. Um, what your thoughts are on on wh what does it take to be great in a game like baseball? And if if you could tell young players like my two kids, Connor and Caleb, what does it take um, to play baseball at the next level? Whatever the next level is for you, obviously, you know, the, the pros is for, you know, the, the people who are uh, gifted by God in some ways, you know, but um, what what's it take to get to the next level of a, a baseball program? Well, just be yourself and, and don't try to be like anybody else. I think too many kids and, and parents, you know, try to make kids be like somebody else. No, God created them to be who they are. And, and we have to learn that. And what I mean by that, that means building self-confidence. Even, even when you can't see it, you got to believe it. Because mm. I, I think that's the important thing for kids to, to, to understand about playing baseball. Just be yourself and, and believe that you can do it, you know. Uh, don't look to nobody else to think, well, wow, this guy has more talent than me. So, so what? The most, some of the most talented guys never make it. You know, some of the guys with the less talent make it because of the, you know, because of the heart, because of the effort, because of the time, because of the work that you put in. When everybody else is sleeping, you need to be working. If that's what you want to play, you want to believe and, and how good you can be. Um, when everybody else was sleeping, I was playing. See, it's just like, it's just like, it's like the enemy when you sleep and he's doing push-ups. Mm, that's true. So 
so that means you got to be on your your game when you wake up and it's just like the same thing and training yourself to be the best sometimes you're gonna have to learn how to go out and go to the park and run the bases by yourself i mean i used to do that that was part of you know that was part of talking back and getting back with myself saying okay i'm going first to third i'm pretending there's a game nobody's in the ballpark i mean i'm just going to a, a local field nobody's in the ballpark just me and and I'm taking my shirt off. It may be day or whatever. And there it is, me going first to third, me running first and make it, and me going second to home. Just putting the game in play. You have to learn how to put the game in play. When you get when you get old enough, when the kids get old enough, these are the things that they need to learn how to do. You know, you gotta you gotta trust who you are, and by you trusting who you are is when you go back and back to that's when you figure out who you are. No, I, I love that. And it's, <clears throat> it's actually the perfect transition because who you are in your life has shifted pretty dramatically um, over the years. How, how does somebody go from um, being drafted and playing in the majors to being an evangelist, speaking on stages to men's weekend about who God is? To, how would you encapsulate that transition? I, 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 would, I would have to say um, having a praying mother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and, and that's so important in our lives you know i think a lot of us don't understand that and a lot of us come from you know such good situations and a lot mm. of us come from broken situations and i think a lot of times most of the people that come from broken situations they miss the important part of their life who was in the household okay i wasn't raised by my father i was raised by my mother who was my mother my mother was a christian she left a legacy she didn't preach to us she lived jesus and we saw that yes i was a heathen i was a completely broken separate uh, person but you know come to find out that she was praying for me the whole time you know yeah. when she passed when she passed away there it is a journal under her bed and writing in it to god save all my kids you know praying for us night after night and and i think a lot of times people don't understand prayer from the righteous come to pass, mm. you know, that God, that God ends up hearing my mother and God ends up keeping his hand on me, keeping his grace that I didn't deserve over me. And that's what brings me to a place of who I am today, you know, because of my mother prayers and because of the faithfulness of God sending other people in my life. You see, God sent my wife in my life and my mother in my life to straighten me out. Yeah. My, I wouldn't listen to my mother. But all I had to do was listen to her and stay away from the girl, stay away from the nightlife and, and live right. And, but I, I didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted to do it my way. So guess what? There's, and, and there's like my wife says, you know, she always says, well, you can pick your sins, but you can't pick your consequences. Come on. So she just, that she, so she gave me some real reality of you can pick all the sins you want in life, but you got to remember there's consequences behind your action. And, and, and that was part of uh, my life of, of becoming uh, transformed and better because my mother prayers stuck with me and came to pass. But my wife came in my life and she was just like my mother. And I goes, God, you send you know, you you knew that I love women. I chased them and I love them like crazy. So you sent two in my life that would straighten me out and change the course of my life forever, Tony. I mean, it would change the course of my life 
and it would make me see God like I never could ever imagine. Yeah, one of the things that you write about in the book is how your wife wouldn't give you the time of day. Yeah, she wouldn't give me the time of day. That, that was my it. interpretation, by the way. That was those were my words, not your words. But basically, she she uh, I think how you said it was something to the effect of like she wasn't going to have any part of you until you got right. No part. You know, she was done. I mean, we're boyfriend and girlfriend in relationship when we started off. And where would you guys meet at? I always I love love stories. And you, you by the way, you and your wife are super cute on Instagram. <laughs> well, thank you. See, I appreciate that. That. She's, she's a sweetheart. She's a lovely Midwestern girl. Um, who, you guys did put your who, Christmas decorations up in early November, though. Yeah, so we did. <laughs> 2020, she though, you got to. <laughs> she's like that, you know, and she wants to get going, and, and that's important to her. And, and we just lived a simple life. But, you know, from where we were. And to yeah, where, where, where did you guys today, meet? I'm sorry. I interrupted you completely. We, we, met, we, we met back in the days of I was in the midst of my addiction, and she had one-year recovery. And she had just got clean and and she had lost her kids and she was on the road of recovering. And, and there was, I was, you know, coming back, you know, from five day binge and smoking crack. And mm. we meet at a convention and, and there it is. Uh, she sees everybody hovering over me and she goes, this guy is, who is this guy? He's very sick. And, you know, he's, he's trying to get recovery and you guys hawking over for autographs. She's like, he's going to die out there. And, and we had a conversation and she never talked about my career or baseball or anything. Uh, she We just talked about life and talked about trying to get better. And we became friends and then we got involved and we're in a relationship. And and the relationship was toxic because I wasn't right. And right. so, you know, I was smoking crack and, you know, and shooting dope in Florida, South Florida. And she banging on doors, pulling me out of houses. And she's still clean. She never went back. She stayed clean. Once she got clean... She just never went back. She's got oh, over 21 God. years now. Yeah, she's got over 21. She's found Jesus, and she started walking a different walk and, and, and different talking. And then she just finally came to a place, you know, with our relationship because it was so toxic because I was so broken. She was like, um, woke up one morning and says, we need to talk, you know, after I, I don't have nothing. I'm, I'm $3 million in debt, don't have a driver's license, and here it is. She's clinging on to me. What, what year and, is this? That was uh, over 20 years ago, sure. Um, somewhere like that, when, when she first got clean. And, you know, I got over 17 years now. I was still struggling, but she was not struggling. And um, she was moving forward. And, and she comes to the place and just just finally had enough, you know, finally had enough of, you know, pulling me out of dope houses and, and, and telling me, um, you know, God's got a plan for me. And I said, why don't you and God just leave me here and let me die? She says, you're not that lucky, you know, (laughs) you know, I I lost my kids and and I'm clean and I never went back and and you just don't want to, you just don't want to make a commitment. You don't want to make a commitment to God and do us right. So she, we ended up moving to St. Louis and living in her parents' basement, moving back home, sold everything in Florida. I'm three millions in debt, no driver's license. And she wakes up one morning, Tony, and she says, um, clearly to me, I need to talk to you. I said, what's up? She said, you need to come from under the covers because I'm hiding from life. Right. It's dark, you know, and I want to, I'm smoking cigarettes and, you know, just, you know, going through life and trying to figure out what am I doing? And she woke up and she said, um, I just need to talk to you. I said, go, well, go ahead. Came from under the covers. And she says, I'm not doing this no more. I said, what you talking about? She says, I'm not living like this no more. She said, I'm not having sex with you no more. But she'd been studying the Bible and everything. She said, I'm not having sex with you no more. And I'm not living like this. I said, what? 
<laughs> she said, yeah. She was like, I, I, I don't know what you, I said, well, maybe I need to get out of here. She said, well, that's what you need to do. And I packed my stuff and I was on the flight within a day or so headed to California to be with my sister and her three kids. And there it was, we didn't know if we were going to be together, but we, it, we had broke it off because she said, you need to, you need to really get your life right with God. You need to get serious. She says, you know who he is. Your mother showed you who he is. You know the way, but you just choose not to obey him. And she says, I don't know what you're going to do, but you know, hopefully one day you'll get it together. And I went away. I went away for six months and, and I repented to God at my sister's house. And I got serious. I got God. Oh my God. I mean, I remember that first, first night at my sister's house, I put the Bible on the bed and I was getting ready to open it up. And God said, don't open that Bible. Hmm. And he said, I've been waiting for you. I lost it. I just laid there and cried. I just like, oh Did, my what, God. Now was that, uh, I always love to ask people when you heard God's voice, was that an audible voice for you? Was it, was it internal or how, how did you know it was God and not just the pain of leaving Tracy behind? Well, I knew it wasn't the pain of leaving Tracy behind because I knew that I was so far away from God and it was just the, it was the voice of God that just, just like said, you know, he's just like, you know, as I closed my eyes to pray, because I was getting ready to open the Bible, and he says, don't open that Bible. And then he says, I've been waiting for you, and I just lost it. Mm. You know, that, that was it. I just laid there, and I cried. I just weeped. And I said, I'm so sorry. And I says, I repent. Will you forgive me? And I just, and he was like, yeah, so I forgive you. And I just kept crying. And he, he started me on a new journey from that day. Uh, I stopped drugs. I stopped sex. I mean, it was just, it was, it was like a purification cleaning, you know, that just came up on me. It was just like so powerful. And I stopped everything. I stopped, you know, stopped everything that I was doing and I focused. He says, I want you to, I want you to focus on getting, getting over yourself Mm. and, and, and go help somebody else and get in church and start helping others, you know? And, you know, he was just speaking to me through, through that period of, of land there. And and I just got involved. I, I I went to the church that that I was out in California, and, and I tried to show up to go help feed the homeless. And I had nothing, you know. I had no driver's license. I'm driving my sister's car. I got no money and nothing, you know. And, and here it is. I'm on the journey. But but through that journey and that process of that six months, that's when God brought tremendous happiness and freedom. See, this mm. is when you know that you don't need anything else. Yeah. Okay, because we think we need we think we need a lot of things to make us well. But I but but God made it clear for me to understand you already had all of that. You already know that doesn't work. See, it's people like King Solomon is the same way in in you know in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, having everything but sin is meaningless under the sun without God. And when you've had all that and you look at that. I mean, I sit here and I know how meaningless it is. I know exactly what he's talking about. Because if I don't have this, if I don't have this empty hole that's inside of me filled with the right thing, I'm going to always chase the wrong thing. But see, the empty voice that's inside that was inside of me, uh, Tony, was was God was missing. He's the only one that can fill that empty empty void on the inside of all of us. And when I realized that and he was starting to fill that empty void on the inside of me, that's when I realized I started pursuing 
and going down the right road. And I started turning away from everything and everybody. And it was, it was a process, you know, and, and most people say, well, how, well, how did you get here, Daryl? How did you get so much revelation knowledge? Well, when I went through that six months of purging, I went back and me and Tracy started living together and got right and got married and we started doing things the right way. And then there it was again. Okay. There it was again with God. God says, okay. He, he says, I want to sit you. You need to be discipled. Right. So he sits me for seven years. Whew. Okay. Seven years of right. sitting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and see a lot of folks don't understand. They think, well, they see you now and think, well, no, it was seven years of sitting of discipleship. I don't know why he did it, you know, but I know that he was saying, you need to be discipled. You need to not get up and, and speak about anything and, and, until you are discipled and you are qualified because I knew what God was doing. You know, at the end, I found out, you know, why he did that because I realized more than anything and, and why he never wanted me to get in the pulpit when I wasn't discipled because he knew the devil would put a stranglehold on me and the devil would kill you. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand that this is a serious deal. You come know, on. when when you come to this place here and you start standing in the pulpit and you start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if you're not equipped with the word, the devil is going to destroy you. That Amen. is that is no joke about it. And I think too many people take that lightly. But Jesus talks about that in John 10, 10. He said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Then he talks about, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So, but I think people get that confused and they think abundant life is stuff. He's not talking about that. He's talking about peace, right. joy, wisdom, knowledge. He's talking about stuff that will give you far greater than, than any earthly thing that you will ever achieve. So that was a whole process for me to be able to go through that. It was a long journey. See, people don't, people don't look at the journey you have to go on with God. Well, it takes so long to become an overnight success, right? Like it just takes so long. Now I, I love you and you and I have talked a little bit before we press record. I love intentional disciple making. I think it is, I think all of us need spiritual mothers and fathers. Everybody needs a Paul. Everybody needs a Timothy. And, um, and so I'm curious, I love to get practical. What did disciple making look like in your life as you were getting the reps for the seven years prior to stepping into your public ministry? What did disciple making look like for you? Disciple making was like being in church, um, with a notebook and notepad because see, that's, <clears throat> that was one of my wife's number one thing. You know, I was always looking at her, why she was so joyful. And I'm like, Lord, why is she always so joyful and smiling and happy? Hey, hon, you know, when I wake up, he said, because she spends time with me, mm. you know, and he says, when are you going to spend some time with me? You know, and that got to me. I, I, I wanted what she had. He said, you'll never get that until you spend time. So it was like going to church on Sundays, but having a notebook and notepad. I mean, I mean, a notepad and pen. Sorry about that. And it was about going to Bible. So doing the same thing, having a notepad and pen and taking notes. And see, the, th the problem with so many of us, we don't take notes because the notes are, the notes are discipleship for you to grow in God when you're in church. Right. And the problem with, and the problem with so many people, they've gotten consumed with, you know, iPhones and iPads and, 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 and they put them down and you don't pick them back up. You know, I stayed with the, I stayed with the normal Bible, bringing my Bible to church and highlighting it 
and taking notes. And I started I started diving in that way because the Bible talks about it, my people perish because of lack of knowledge, you know, and, and that's so that's playing out so clear today in the society that we're living in and everything. Uh, there was so many people are perishing because there is no knowledge and understanding of God's word. So that discipleship was part of participating. <laughs> so many, so many don't want to participate. There are small groups that people can uh, get involved in and connect and participate. But you know what happens in small group groups a lot of times? So many people want to be leaders, but they're not even ready. Yep. You know, and it, it, this is that's the that's the downfall of a lot of Christians is is wanting to be ready. Now remember, I said sit. Don't get in no position. Don't try to get in no leadership. Just do service work. And you come to church and you stay connected and you stay connected in the word. And what, what I mean by discipleship, when I take was taking notes, I, I would go home and study those hmm. later. I wouldn't just take them and, you know, on Sundays and, and, and just put them away. You know, those would be notes that I would go home and saturate myself in and I would meditate on it and I would look at it and I would look at, you know, the scriptures and go back to it and realize what does it all mean? You know, what does it all mean? How does it all come together? Well, it comes together when you participate, when you get involved, you know, and I I think so many don't participate and get involved and they walk, they want somebody to explain, explain to me what the scriptures mean. Well, the Holy Spirit will explain to you if you listen and you and you study. Come on. <laughs> so that that's that's what discipleship really looks like, you know, for for, for what it looked like for me. Because you know, you know what, Tony, I saw my wife study with God. She oh man, she is incredible, man. She gets up every morning. She, 21 years we've been together. Mm. She gets up every morning at five, five thirty. She rolls out of that bed and she goes. She studies the word of God. Come on. You know, God has set her for God set her for 12 years before he released her and to be preaching and, and, and teaching like she is now and helping so many folks. But I mean, she's got so much word down in her as depth is down in her because of her, her studies with God. And that's what you know, that's what God was showing me. You'll get what she has when you study. It's in the book. The problem is nobody picks it up no more. You know, they put it on the shelf and they say, I, I go to church and sing hallelujah and hand my hand out and God bless me, please. That's what people want. Why don't you stop looking for what God's going to give you and give God your heart? Mm. Uh, I'm here for all of this, by the way. I love this. <laughs> this is my heart. I mean, this is so I, you know, one of the things that we always say here is that if you're not, uh, if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. That's good. And, and I think I think what I really hear you saying is that um, your preparation for where you are now is really all about disciplines. Now, um, you you talk a little bit about your your kids and your relationship with your kids um, in the book, and and how you you had to to kind of deal with your own relationship with your dad, and then your own relationship with your kids. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that and then specifically what do you and Tracy do now um, to root your kids kind of in that Proverbs 22 kind of way um, and, and train them up? Because I, I think that there are a lot of people listening who are like, man, I, I want that for my family, but I don't know what the first steps are outside of my own walk with Christ. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I think your own walk with Christ has to be first. Foremost, and you have to you you have to own that. 
You know, and I, and I think if you don't own that, and what I mean by that, if you don't own it, then it's it's hard for your kids to be able to see it's real. You know, and, and I think me and Tracy learned that. I, I learned that through my mom. And I think that's why I am the way I am today. And, you know, I never preached to my kids. I never told them, you got to do this. I, I've always uh, encouraged them that Jesus is Lord. That's all, you know, and I, I don't have to thump them over the head uh, with it, you know, because my own past relationship that I had was broken with them, you know, mm-hmm. because of divorce, drugs, jail, um, all kind of all kind of things that uh, was a part of my life at that time. But, you know, the real reality of them seeing me today is is like, wow, my dad is just like so different. You know, he goes, people are always talking about him, you know, as a as a ball player and his failures, you know, and they, and, but my dog be saying, people be saying, your dad was like such a great player when they see me and stuff and with him and say, oh, man, your dad is just, was just an amazing player. And they'd be like looking at me like, no, nah, he's not. He's a preacher. What are you talking about? He goes, no, you he goes, no, you have no idea. You didn't see him play. You don't understand how big he was, you know, as a player. And they just see me as dad, you know. They just see me as someone that has overcome a lot of things in life. And, and they appreciate that even more uh, because I don't really speak a lot about about my history in playing. I don't brag about it to them or anything like that. Um, they may see it sometime, time, you know, on social media, something like that. And then they they realize, well, wow, I guess he was pretty good, but, you know, but I, I, I like who he is today. And, and I think it works in his life when they see you live according to the biblical principles. People can talk about the principles, but do you live? You know, I think what my kids recognize with me, and that's what they recognize with Tracy, they recognize what we stand for. Uh, we love them. They know that. They, they know when we're not going to tolerate the foolishness. We'll love you through it. Because we know they all got to go through what they have to go through. Right. And we'll love you through it. But at the same time, we're going to give you, we're going to give you that fine point of been there, done that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <and> that's, <laughs> that's the, that's the point of life we give to them. I've been there and I've done that. So you can try to sugarcoat your life to us. Uh, uh, this is just, you know, how it is. No, we, we, we already know. We already, we already done that. You know, we, we, we live outside of that. We don't live in that no more. Once about a time we used to live in that, that used to be who I was. I used to be who Tracy was, but we live, we live for our faith. We live for being in church. We don't, we don't live for the hyper church. We don't, like I said, we don't preach to you guys, but we actually live it. And our kids adore us because we live it. They, they get a chance to see us actually love each other and, and, and see happiness. You know, they come, you know, they come to us, you know, we always said, my wife said, God's always given us a house for healing, you know, cause people are always going to have to walk through, people walk through other doors and they need healing and even our own kids. So, and we've been able to assist them and all that. And I, I think it's just been a blessing to be able to do that and be who we are as parents. I love that. Um, I'm going to ask a question kind of selfishly. So I've got seven years sober. Um, I, I realized that I had some coping mechanisms that were not healthy for me or for my relationship with God while I was in full-time ministry. It wasn't a good, I just made some not great life choices. Um, and I, I have an addictive personality. It's, it's part of what makes me really good at church and, and ministry. And it, it's part of what, uh, how the enemy 
how the enemy just puts me in bad places or, or I make bad decisions, right? And uh, so I'm curious, knowing that um, you, you also have an addictive personality, how, how do you deal with that in the next generation? Because I, I have a 15-year-old now and I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old princess and I know about generational sin, right? And I know that my, my grandfather had an addictive personality. And I, I mean, I can, I, can, I can trace it all out. I have traced it all out with my counselor and my, you know, the people in my life who are speaking truth. How do, you, um, how do you deal with generational sin in your own kids' lives? Really good, Tony. I'm glad you shared that with me, you know, because, you know, we, addictive personality doesn't mean anything is really wrong with us. I think we just have to come to a, to a place to understand that's not who we are. You know, I think so for so long, you know, I used to, used to think that, well, this is just the way it is, you know, and because it was generational sin, you know, from my father, it fell from the, fell from the tree. So why shouldn't, why shouldn't I be? Why, why, why not? You know, why shouldn't I, why should I uh, have, you know, have, can't have what I want and be what I want, you know, and you, and you don't, when you understand that, you don't get rid of that until you get rid of your ego. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's the, because every man, Every man has an ego. It's not until you let his ego get crushed. You know, not crushed by people, but crushed by God. Yeah. See, because see, I realized how good God was when he could crush my ego. Because you know what the ego is, the three-letter word. Easing God out. Yeah, amen. And we, and we do that well with, oh, this is, I got it all together. You know, I, I know what I'm doing. I, you know, and every time I was like that, I would make mistakes. And my wife wouldn't point my mistakes out. She was just like, well, you need not to connect with these people. You need not to be around these people. You need not to say things like that. And, you know, I thought, well, what are you talking about? I, I, got, I got this together. But I really didn't, you know. And that, yeah. was, that, was, that, was the, that was the complicated part of who I was until I let God crush me, hmm. you know, until I let him crush me. Until I let him crush me again. And when I let when I every time I let God crush me, guess what came? Humility. Mm. Humility. Mm. You know? <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you go back and 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 you you read about the people that he used why they were so great. They wasn't he wasn't that special about none of us. Moses, speech impediment. Humility, right. meekness. He walked with God. God, I'm not qualified. God, there's only there's only two people in the in the Bible that Jesus ever called the devil, and Peter was one of them. He used him to start the whole church. <laughs> <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I, so. Listen, Peter and I feel like I, I resonate with Peter deeply because it's just. <laughs> uh. But we all yeah, we all have that. Tony inside of us until we let God crush us. Yeah. I mean, and, and the crushing part I'm talking about is a good part because that, because, because you know what happens in that? It's no longer about me. Amen. I don't have to have a big fuss. Amen. You know, because it's not about me. You know, when you, we, we, when we get to that place where it's not about me, it's not about how good, how did I sound? Did I preach a good word? Da, da, da. That's not important. Right. You know, because that's what keeps us stuck instead of us operating supernatural in the Holy Spirit and saying, every time I get ready to go speak and, and minister, 
Holy Spirit, you better do it because I surely can't preach. Right. You know, th- this has nothing to do with me. Whatever comes out of me, it has to come from you. That's what took all those insecurities away from who I was. You know, that's what took all the dysfunction part of who I was away because it was no longer I. You know, it's that Galatians 2.20 about being crucified yeah. with Christ. See, when we, brother, when we get to that place, we crucify with Christ, that means I've died. Yep. That means I no longer live, just like it says. That means the flesh of me no longer live. I don't operate. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. it, 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 it tries to, it tries to, rise up but you know what you 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 keep moving like oh no that's that's that comes straight from the pit of hell you know because that's the flesh it tries to rise up to tell you well you all that you well I th- yeah i used to think i was all that in a bag of chips when i was playing ball hitting home runs and, and and winning championships but at the end of the day when i took that uniform off who am i right you know and, and most athletes don't want to come to that place of who they are because we identify ourselves with the one thing, the uniform. Right. You know, and it wasn't until my wife came over to me one day and said, when are you going to take that uniform off? Mm. I was like, what? I was like stuck. You know, because she was right. Yeah. You know, I, I was identifying myself the wrong person. I was identifying myself with the uniform baseball, success, trophies, but I was never identifying myself was who am I in Christ? Hmm. You know, so we, you know, so we, you know, we get to that place where we, uh, we get consumed with just being comfortable being the uniform. Most athletes, that's all they know. Well, I I did this. I played that. When I hit a lot of them, well, well, I I played this. I did this. I'm this. I'm that. You know, I'm, Oh, I'm, I'm, what do you mean? Who am I? I got four championships. No, but who are you? Can't really tell you who I am because I'm nothing without the uniform on. So it wasn't until I had to take the uniform off and realize that that no longer was me anymore, that he died. And I became this new guy resurrected in Christ Jesus. Now in this new book, there's, uh, there's nine nine chapters, nine innings. I I love I love the cheeky baseball references throughout. But but one of the questions I, I wanted to ask was um, in the first inning is grace, uh, I, and it it sounds a lot like what you're talking about. But what I'm going to ask the question why why did you start with grace? Because grace grace is so incredible to me. Yeah. Because I think as people. We don't understand grace, you know, and it wasn't until I started understanding grace and realizing the importance of grace. Grace is something that you don't deserve, but God gives it to you anyway. Yeah. Now, see, when I finally got that, that gave me victory over everything else because I don't deserve the grace. And I understand that. So that that made me become a man because I didn't understand it before. Why would he give me the grace even in my filthiness? Mm. Why would he give me the grace even in the hard places and uh, the not so hard places? But he just constantly gives it to us and we don't deserve it. 
And that's that second Corinthians 12, nine, where he says, and my grace is sufficient for you yeah. for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Mm, come you on. Know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we're weak, you know, and, 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 and to know that he gives us strength in the weakness that gives us far more than we can ever imagine, you know, far more than uh, any platform that we can stand on any pulpit we can stand in because now I'm actually standing in a pulpit. Now I'm full of grace. Come on. You know, and now I don't have to think about, am I good? Because I know I'm not good, but he's good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Uh, you're going to work for me today. Bro. I, listen, I, it's so good. Uh, I, I know that there are some people listening who, uh, and you know, we're releasing this book around the first of the year and it's 2020 has been a tough year. And you write about um, busting out of a slump in the book. And it, it was one of my favorite stories in the book, 1986 home run off of Nolan Ryan. Can you tell the story and uh, uh, what you take away from it? Well, I take a lot away from when I'm facing a guy like Nolan Ryan because of the history of who he is and, mm -hmm. you know, just, just facing one of the greatest pitchers of all time and being able to be in that situation and, and coming through, you know, it was just like a reporter came to me after the game and he said, he said, I talked to Nolan and you want to know what Nolan said about you? I said, well, what did he say? He says, well, he said, Nolan said his talent beat my talent on that pitch. Ooh. <laughs> That's that's pretty that's pretty powerful, right? You know, and I think a lot of people. I mean, I got that. You know, he was saying the talent matchup is real, but on that particular bat and that pitch, his talent beat my talent. Yeah, and and prior to that pitch, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you, you had kind of been in a slump. Yeah, I've been. I struggled. I struggled in that 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 series in the World Series too. You know, but. In, uh, yeah, in a slump and, you know, I just needed to come up. I mean, I come up in a situation with a, with a big hit, you know, it was a one, nothing shutout. Had I not tied that game and we're going to win that game, uh, we lose, we don't get there. So it, it's, it's, it's just one of those situations where, uh, you got to be ready at all times, even if you're in a slump because mm -hmm. life's going to bring slumps to you. Yeah. Just like a ball game, you know, as, as a hitter. You, you get in a slump, what happens? You keep working. You keep working. You keep going down to the batting cage early. You get to the ballpark early. What do you do? You work, you work, you soft toss until you get in that place and went boom, there it is. You hit, you get one hit. That's all it takes. Everything else takes care of itself. I feel like um, I, as I was reading that, I, I could not help but think about 2020 as being like, a really interesting slump for so many of us, right? Between COVID and the shutdown or the, or the great pause as some people are calling it. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're going to go into a new year and this book is all about turning your season around. But I, I think one of the things that I appreciate so much is that uh, just like in, in your journey to ministry, just like your, your preparation for that one pitch against Ryan, you know, it, it, if you want to turn your season around, it actually starts t 
today, doesn't it? It starts the moment you decide that you're not going to settle anymore for whatever the enemy, whatever lies the enemy is telling you. It's the moment you decide, you know, the moment you decide to turn around. Because you can sit around and you can look at this, you can look at the pandemic, you can look at, you know, the election, you could be frustrated and, and mad and back and forth. You're not getting anywhere until you open up your heart to God. Yeah. Because what we all don't understand is uh, a lot of us, especially non-believers, don't understand. God sees everything. He sees it all. You know? <laughs> I mean, he sees the pandemic. He sees the election. He can stop whatever he wants. You know, but obviously, he's given us the opportunity mm. and the free will and the free gift to turn our season around. Yeah. And, and, and to turn our season around to him. You know? That's pretty incredible. Amen. That he would give us this time because I can tell you, he's he's sparing us through this whole process. And I think a lot of people don't receive his grace in that. That's why grace, I don't know why grace was number one. I mean, it was number one for a reason. God, I didn't want to write a book. (laughs) Okay. I was like, done. You know, I was like, no, no more books. You know, it's enough. And my wife said, well, you got to write it if God put it down in you. And she said, well, what title did you come up with before the pandemic or anything went on? He said, well, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to write a book about turn your season around. Because everybody, he was saying, everybody's going to have to turn their season around. I didn't know a pandemic was coming. Yeah. And, you know, and here we are in the middle of it. And the book is, the, the book is full of biblical, practical principles. And what I love is at the end of every chapter, there's, there's self-reflection questions. Like if you do the work of this book, there's no way that you don't go closer to Christ at the end. No way. There's no way. Cause the, God's word is too good. I, I mean, your words are good, but God's word is really good in this book. God's word is great. You know, and that's what people don't understand. You yeah. know, his, his word is great. His, his word, his word means deliverance. Hmm. You know, it, it, it's it, it's what it does. You know, you, you look at a guy like me, I, I, I'm not who I used to be. I don't talk like I used to be. I've been delivered. Yeah. You know, you know, I've been I've been rescued. I've been redeemed. I've been restored. No man can do that to you. Only God can do that to you. And, and if you allow him, if you allow him to allow you to go through the hard, hard part of life and come to the place of humility. Yeah. Oh my God, man. I I tell you, if we, if we can get more men standing in the pulpit, preaching the gospel and they have some humility, they will see, they will see the miracle of God working, Mm. you know, because it's, it's, it's something about, something about God when it comes to a man that decides to humble himself and not no longer make it about himself and says, okay, God, okay, this is, this is, this is you use it, you know, use every piece of me and let me not get in the way. And that's the, that's the place, Tony, that I can't, I, I, I came to in my life and say, God, okay, I'm never going to make it about Daryl strawberry. I'm never going to make it about trophy, success, or anything, fame, or fortune, anything. I'm going to make it about your kingdom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it about souls. I'm going to remi- I remember 
I'm going to remember that I was a soul that was down in the pit that everybody was writing about and laughing about and pointing fingers at. And you pulled me out of that pit and you put me into a poor pit where I'm not even qualified. But the only way you put me in that poor pit, because I said, I finally said yes to you that I will do it. And it was no longer about me anymore. Now you put me in a place that I can have a grand impact on lives for you, not for me. I mean, you see so many get to a place mm. and they boast about, you know, they boast about their anointing. They boast about the Holy Spirit. They, it doesn't belong to me, Tony. The gift is not mine. The gift belongs to God. Yeah. You know, and I need I need to I need to respect that. And when I respect that, God does something so amazing because he knows that you respect the gift, the gifting that's inside of you. He you know that it comes directly from the kingdom of God. It doesn't come from man. Whoo, come on, man. That's <laughs> that that'll preach every day of the week. Um <laughs> So I, I know that my listeners, um, they love to pray and mm -hmm. um, they're going to be listening to this the week that your book comes out. Uh, what can they pray uh, that God will do with this particular book of yours? Um, just pray that God will use it to touch the multitude of lives. Yeah. You know, I, you, it, it's nothing, nothing great about me. It just that God would use his tool mm. um, to reach every, in, every individual person that needs to turn his season around. Because it, at the end of the day, we all do, even I do. Yeah. You know, the, the when I first read the book, I was like, oh my God. Mm. I was like, God, this is incredible. I didn't say me. I said, God, yeah. this is incredible. I said, this is, I said, I didn't want to write it. He says, well, didn't I tell you it wasn't about you? <laughs> and, 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 and that's when you get it. You know, that's when you get it. That's when you, that's when you get up. When I rise up and I get up, Tony, it's not about me. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't make it about me. Like some famous people, you know, that's coming to different events to speak and athletes. And I've seen them, you know, to come at different events to speak and talk about, you know, talk about, you know, they love for Jesus, man, they don't even know Jesus. Right. Cause all they doing is talking about themselves and putting a little God, sprinkling a little God on it. Mm. That ain't, that ain't, that ain't the Jesus that got up early Sunday morning. Right. Don't you, don't you know who that is that got up early <laughs> Sunday morning from the tomb? Come on, pastor. <laughs> I mean, they don't understand that, you know, yeah. he's, he's nothing to play with. Right. You know, you, we play in front of all these TVs and all these, uh, uh, places. And, you know, we say, we say God and we say this and, and, and then we live another way. Yep. Yeah. And it's incredible, man. Um, Okay, so I know my listeners are also going to want to pick up a copy of the book. Where is the best place to do that? And if if they want to follow what God is doing in your ministry, where's the best place? To, where's the best place to do those things? You can go on to our, our webpage, findingyourway.com. Okay, got a whole section on there. We've got a whole section. Um, we just we just did a, did a new webpage, me and my wife, and findingyourway.com, and they can go there and and they can order the book off there. They can connect on there. It's it's, it's just so much information on there. Uh, when they look at our webpage, I want them to understand my wife did that. She's so creative. You know? <laughs> I mean, of course she had some, you know, 
she has some designers to do it, but everything that's on there is organic and created through her. Oh, I love it. Hey, can I just you tell know? you that I love the way that you talk about your wife? Oh, I, listen, I, I think, um, I, yes, I just think that that is such a good godly picture of marriage and uh, learning to be on the same team with your wife is a, uh, is such an important thing. And, and you guys are clearly doing it well. And if, if you're not following Daryl on Instagram, you've got to do it because uh, his wife really does make him look good. <laughs> <laughs> she does. <laughs> hey, I outkicked my coverage too every day. Every day. <laughs> I do. I mean, and I do. And you know what? You know what? And, and I'm thankful for it because, you know, God made me understand marriage because I didn't understand the first two that I had. Mm. And, and I got married the first two and have beautiful kids by each one of them, you know, and, and, and I was, I was not a good husband because I didn't know what a husband was supposed to be like. And, you know, to have Tracy in my life and, and love her and love her and, and love doing life with her and love doing ministry with her and, and, and love having fun. See, cause I, I think what, what we, what we came to was God called us to help people. Yeah. You know, and that is the coolest thing when you finally understand that and you help people and you love people and, and you meet them right where you're at, you know, see, cause we like the, we like the people that nobody likes. You know, <laughs> we've been, we've been in churches where, you know, where people come in that's broken and, and have all kinds of stuff. And they'd be like, well, we don't really know if we can handle these kind of people. What you mean? That's the loss. That's what, that's what right. God talks about. That's what, see, that's the part that we've turned away from. That's what you talk about revival and, yeah. and, 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 and discipleship needs to come back in because they'll never get discipled if we don't meet them right where they're at. That's you know, right. me and Tracy, me and Tracy know that and we understand that because God met us right where we were at. We will never turn. I don't care how far broken you are, what kind of problems you have. You, you're just a minute away from God touching you like that and reversing your situation and bringing it into his destiny. You know, so we never, we, we never must forget about people. And I think that's, that's what our ministry is all about. And when you read our page and everything, you, my wife goes down the line. She, we talk about everything that every challenge, you know, the, we put facts on there about, we know, cause we've been through them. You know, yeah. we've been through marriage problems, drugs. I've been in prison and, uh, you know, I, I, I lost, I suspended from baseball. I, I, Everything, you, everything you can imagine I've been through, but grace. That's mm. why I started with grace. Come on. I understand it. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that he has for everybody, you know, not just some people, but everybody that decides to make that commitment. Okay. Last question. I always love to ask people. It's, a, it's an advice question to give yourself a piece of advice, except I'm going to take you back to a very specific time in your life. I'm going to take you back to... Um, the day after you got to your sister's house and you went to go open that Bible and God told you not to open it. Um, and the next morning, if you had the chance to go back and talk to that younger version of Daryl Strawberry, uh, what would you say to him? Why didn't you listen to your mother? <laughs> <laughs> My wife heard that and she just went, yes. <laughs> It's, a, it's, it's just, it's just simple. Mm. It's simple for complicated people. Yeah. You know, it's simple things that mother speaks into your life because it takes nothing away from dad because we're working and we're hard, you know, we're hard pushed driven to make, you know, the family go right. But mother sits at home and she clearly gonna make points to you that you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. 
Yeah. You know, how many times we've heard that? Proverbs 31, man. Her, her value is worth far more than rubies. It's far more. You know, mm. more. You know when, you, when you think about it, it's, it's, a mother's, it's a mother's love for her kids. You know? and, you, and I think a lot of times we, miss, we underestimate that because but what I realized is she carried me for nine months. Yeah. You know, and I think we don't understand that that, 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 that attachment that they have is far greater than we can ever imagine. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't take anything away from dads. I want dads to understand this. It doesn't take anything away from them because we have a different role to play. We have to sure. become the head, not, we have to become the head, not the knucklehead. So, you know, we can't get in, you know, if we're the knucklehead, we can't get into the head part of it. You right. Know? So, <laughs> so there's mother, there, there's a the mother there just nurturing us as, as even, even, even when you're heathen life. Yeah. Mother still telling you, you know, you're not supposed to live like that, but she's like, she, my mother told me that. And she says, but I could tell you one thing when she was dying, she said, I could tell you one thing. She said, God's going to get it out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she didn't push to me or anything. She just like clearly told me, Oh, I'm just going to keep praying for all y'all and God's going to get it out of you. Yeah. And she was right. And thank God that she was. Thank God that she thank was. Thank God. Yes. And, uh, and thank you for being so generous with your time today and for your testimony and for your amazing witness. And I'm just praying that God continues to do amazing things through your ministry and this resource that I know is going to bless so many people. Well, thanks for having me, Tony. I appreciate you, man. And it's just a message of hope for everybody and just to encourage everybody with God, just keep it simple. You know, keep it simple with God. I think we go over Mm. The top trying to impress him. He's not impressed. He created you. Amen. What a great conversation with Daryl. I'm so thankful for his voice, his transparency, his vulnerability. I really love the way he talked about prayer and how it, prayer from the righteous always comes to pass. Also, his season of waiting, what that means and looks like. I know that there are so many of us who are waiting for that next season. And I hope Daryl's words today really inspire you. Uh, to step in faithfully. Again, thank you so much for being a part of this community. Uh, as a reminder, please leave a rating or review, share the podcast, get the word out about what God is doing here. It means the world to me and continues to inspire me uh, and inspire all of us to continue the work that God's called us to. Thank you so much. And I look forward to connecting with you guys real soon.